All right. Welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to demystify the intersection of business technology and the human experience. Today, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with JB Benjamin, and we are going to be demystifying data privacy. And that may sound like a big topic, and it is, but I've seen too many reactions on polar ends of the spectrum, and so we thought we'd lean in and talk about that. And JB is the CEO and founder of Cryotech, who's very qualified to have this conversation with me. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But for those of you who are not already subscribed to my Substack, I just am going to make a plug for that first, because if you don't catch this full conversation, or even if you do and you go, but what are the biggest takeaways? That's where you're going to find them. So make sure you sign up for that. Um, but thank you, JB, for making so much well, for making time to join me to have this conversation. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for sparing the time to have the conversation. Hey, you know what? We've gotten to know each other through this experience. <laughs> and I always love when I get introduced to people who are unexpected, amazing people to have connections with. So I'm for those who don't know who you are, tell me a little bit of the background because you've got a pretty fascinating background. Um, okay, I'm gonna try. I'll try and keep it on like as, as small. I as will possible. rein you in if you get if you get out of hand. Okay, so uh, I'm JB, uh, CEO of Cryotech and Digin Technologies and Gorgon Black Box. Um, I'm actually a kid from a council estate. I was born in Birmingham in the 1980s during the times of Thatcher. Um, I grew up. I was homeschooled as well. I, I got schooled in the homeschooled back before that was like yeah. Yeah. Like a pop, like the pandemic kind of made homeschooling kind of like a pop trend. Yeah, but that was before it was like a pop oh. trend. Oh yeah, I was being, I was homeschooled. Wait for Bear in mind, if I'd gone to school in Birmingham, I grew up in Bordesley Green East, which is if anybody knows Brum, who's watching this, they know that is that's bad time place. It's not bad as Ladywood or Aston, okay. but it's up there, should we say? Okay. Um, with, if I'd gone to school there, I would have been a prostitute or a pimp. I mean, I'd be making more money than I'm making now, but it's not exactly something I could write home about. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, homeschooled. Um, I had a quite uh, oppressive childhood. I was. Uh, it was all education. Never got toys. Not. Never got stuff to play with. I just had chemistry sets, books, microscopes. I was writing essays uh, on Descartes and Baudrillard and stuff like that until I was uh, from the ages of five, six, and seven onwards. We were okay. writing about Shakespeare even earlier. And then uh, I, was, I was pretty much trained to be a scientist, a physicist. So I learned everything about science. It was amazing. And to this day, I love quantum mechanics. In fact, quantum mechanics and the concept of quantum sorcery, definitely something to check out, are things that really interest me. But what does happen when a kid has an overbearing parent? They go in the opposite direction. So, of course, I went to, <laughs> I decided to do film studies, didn't I? <laughs> okay. So you're like, all this effort, you're like, yep, yeah, we're going to turn you into a scientist. And you went, you know what? I think film. Thank yes, you. I, I, I know, I'm not Albert Einstein. I'm Zack Snyder. So I decided to do, I went to, I did film at college. Um, unfortunately, yeah. I learned very quickly in the United Kingdom, if you're going to get money to make a film, you only get money to make a film for one of two different types of film. So either a Hugh Grant rom-com, like, oh my God, aren't I so delightfully befuddled, which yeah. I have no interest in, or it's another shoot 'em up top boy stereotype reinforcing, oh, aren't all black people aggressive? Yeah, kind of thing. Again, I have no interest in those. I like Shaw okay. Brothers movies. I love Chinese martial arts. You know, I don't like okay. any of that crap. Yeah, so, so, so the kind of film that would have paid the bills, you were like... Yeah, I have no interest in doing that. So now I'm in a weird spot. 
and it's also more than that as well because I can't do anything just to pay the bills. If I'm going to do something like make yeah. a film, I really got to care that. about it. Yeah, and it's not just that. Films have power. They have a message. They, they are yes, they a do. medium and a message in and of itself. So anything I produce, I got to feel like there's, there's some integrity there, basically. I'm not going to make a piece of shit film just so I can go, oh, cool, I can make a good film now. No, sorry, Just so I can say I made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not, no, it's not that. Look, if I were James Gunn, that's how I'd roll. But I'm not James Gunn. Seriously, I don't. I wouldn't turn out a turd okay. like the Flash. Um, yeah. So, went to the film, looked at filmmaking. Uh, because I couldn't get any, I just, you know, it was too restrictive doing it the way I wanted to do it. I decided to go into AI and 3D animation. So that I'm, is the, okay. So that is another. Which I, 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 I'm going to let you finish this. Okay. But it's um, interesting that you went from science. To film and then into AI and tech. But what's interesting, and I haven't published this conversation yet, but I had a conversation with a big tech head, and we were talking about the fact that interestingly, some of the people think that tech is not for creatives, and that is absolutely not the case. Actually, people who are wildly creative end up crushing it in tech. Because tech is like a blank canvas where you can apply your creativity in different ways. So I'm curious how you made that connection, though, to go from film and then went, you know what, I'm going to jump into the AI crypto space. Actually, it was um, so I was at Ravensbourne University, London, which is a media, uh, which is like an arts university in the United okay. Kingdom. And I started there in 2002. Bear in mind, back in 2002, people weren't talking about AI. No, people they were not. People weren't they were about, they were still questioning whether the internet was really going to be that big of a thing. It was kind of exactly. like, is this really going to go anywhere? Exactly. So I went to Ravensbourne. I did my degree in three D in computer. I did my uh, HN my undergraduate degree in, in computer visualization and animation. Loved it. Okay. Stayed on for a third year. Did my actual bachelor's in three D animation. But then I started realizing. Ah, so you started in the animation. You started yeah. in the animation yeah. space. Okay, and then, I can see that bridge. And then I started looking at it thinking, because well, when I was doing 3D, the thing that I found I was naturally good at, this is where my physics experience came in, is actually doing simulation of, of lit objects. That became my speciality, was mm. literally focusing on how to do physics real lighting. Now, it was my okay. understanding of physics that allowed me to then bring that understanding into Maya and other 3D software and actually then apply that to the lighting systems there to generate incredible lighting really early on. Okay. And I started thinking to myself, well, cool. I want to make other animations. I'm not particularly good at animating myself. So how do I fix that? And that's when I started looking at AI. Now, there's this plugin by a guy called John Krasuski, who's part who was of AI implant. He is now building AI simulators for the US military. So he sold his soul, basically. This was an amazing okay. plugin where you can actually do flocking and all kinds of different types of AI procedure in your animation. And I actually did okay. a, a research paper on it and discovered that it was actually generating adaptive behaviors on the fly. And this is what started giving my, okay. my first inklings that AI is something that we have literally no understanding of whatsoever. Because even these basic plugins that we're using AI for just basic things like flocking and moving were actually generating adaptive results, which theoretically shouldn't be occurring. Got it. Very Got interesting it. stuff. So I yeah. wrote my end of year dissertation paper at Ravensbourne in 2010 on adaptive AI, simulacrum simulation, and the concepts of who would who would reach emotive AI first, the military or the creative industries. It was so complex, Ravensbourne had to get a person in to read it because they're an arts college, uh, an arts uni, and they don't do AI. <laughs> But this wasn't this wasn't like an Amazon bestseller published type paper. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Um, otherwise, Amazon would have stolen it. No, it, yeah. was, it was just a normal thing. <laughs> um, so after that, I then ended up, uh, in between all of that, I, by the way, while I was finishing my degree, I was I had two kids. I had my first two children. So while I was okay. finishing my degree, you know, so the, you know those people out there who say, when, as soon as they have a kid, they're like, oh, I quit my degree. You know, you just can't do it. You know how it is being a parent. I'm just going to say to those people, I had a job. I was doing a degree and I brought up two. I'm just saying. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, did that. Things were going okay. Unfortunately, during that part of my life, my partner was being incredibly restrictive and controlling. And it got to the point where the stuff I'm doing now, I was not allowed to do then. It, I'm not going to yeah. get into the details. It's just wild stuff, but it is what it is. However, spin the clock forwards. So we get to 2017. I'm fighting through court to see my kids for the first time round after we split. And <laughs> this is going to sound nuts. I created, I didn't set out to create a brand new end-to-end -end encrypted uh, communications platform. I just set out to stop myself going insane like most fathers do when they don't have access to their kids. You know, could you, no, seriously. We were trying you to solve a practice. No, but I mean, again, this goes back to why I think creatives thrive in the tech space is because they see these problems and they get wildly creative about yeah. solving them. Yeah. And it's like, I have this issue. Yeah. I need to figure out there's got to be a better way. And it's also a good pastime. I mean, I, uh, I've i seen how most fathers, when they don't have access to their children, they become alcoholics, they turn to drugs, they become generally useless people. And then they complain when their kids find them when they're 18 that it's not their fault that you trapped. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. So I decided I'm going to teach myself something new. I'm going to solve a problem in the world, given I have zero control over my own destiny, seemingly. Screw it. Okay. And I built Vox Messenger. And we I got out the first iteration by 2018. It got users really quickly. It's also, it became, it is the first, world's first instance of, of applied post-quantum end-to-end encryption in a consumer messaging platform. Signal. Okay. Which, just you got you to gotta, you gotta demystify that because people may hear mm. that and go, say, I said, what's yeah. a what? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what is post-quantum encryption? It is a huge, lovely buzzword. Say it with me. Post quantum encryption. It sounds, sounds so very cool. Post quantum yes. encryption. Yes. I like it. It sounds so it, it rolls off the tongue nicely. Oh, yeah. PQM. Oof. Now, uh, <laughs> what, it, what it actually is, is post quantum encryption is just describing a new form of algorithm, which is called lattice based cryptography. It's just the concept of, okay. finding, of finding points in a grid effectively. However, in orders of magnitude, it's between two and 400 times stronger than elliptic curve encryption, which is the current common standard that is used in WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, okay. and Signal. Um, okay. They all use it. Now, Signal have just announced that they're actually deploying hybrid post-quantum encryption, but I'm just going to say, sorry, Signal, we were here first since 2000. You, you beat them to it. Yeah. I mean, by the way, I should also mention we've got Vox Crypto coming out, which is an encrypted crypto wallet, and we're combining that with Vox Messenger. So we are, we're building the very first Western equivalency of WeChat right here at Crytek, right here in the West Midlands of the United Kingdom. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, and so the point of all of this that you started doing was you clearly, obviously part of it was you were interested in it, but this kind of ties back to the whole data privacy point of there. What was the gap you saw that you went, there's got to be a better way to do okay. this? Yeah. I mean, the gap I saw was, okay, let's, we'll spin it back a little bit. Okay. If you look at the technological landscape, um, 
I hate to bring up a word which is so divisive, but the tech landscape in terms of creators, owners, and operators is incredibly monochromatic, if you know what I'm saying. In fact, every messaging platform is pretty much owned by the same kind of person, actually. And yet these are messaging yeah. platforms which are meant to be deployed in regions outside of those territories. We have a okay. suit, we have a minority building the tech for the world majority. For the vast majority. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, yep. I mean I'll give you an example. If we look at systems like computer vision, I mean, this is the reason why I became obsessed a little bit with AI. And the reason why I ended up moving from physics to, th to film to 3D to AI is actually, it's a very natural progression because- It does, I, I can see it. Yeah, one of the fundamental issues in all of AI really is computer vision. Just like a human, if you cannot see, it's very hard for you to interpret the world around you. And if an AI is going to be an effective companion, not replacement, companion to us, it needs to be able to understand the world around it. And this comes largely through our vision. Yes, we have other senses, yep. but unless you solve computer vision problems, you're pretty effed, basically. Yep. And one thing yep. I spotted very quickly was the number of issues in this area. I mean, I'll give you an example. If you run any object recognition algorithm running at the moment, in a Western or a European living room, it can identify a table, it can identify a computer, it can identify all these fancy things. But then take that say, same algorithm and deploy it, say, in a living room in Pakistan, India, some of the deepest parts of Africa, where people are using objects for different things. You'll find that it yep. doesn't recognize diddly. It doesn't diddly. recognize anything because it's an unfamiliar cultural setup. And it gets even worse, because when we look at facial recognition systems, they're based on predominantly four data sets, one of which is owned and operated by Microsoft. And when you look at these data sets and even combine their totality, uh, the diversity range in, in this totality is probably less than 10 to 20%. So this is the reason why if you're driving an auto driving car and you're driving in an area which has a high ethnic diversity, I jest you not, don't be using autopilot because there is a very real risk it is actually not going to stop for certain groups. Because the data set does not have that information in it to exactly. even be able to interpret the stuff. Oh. So again, to your point of it can't see, it's literally driving blind. Exactly. It's driving, actually, it's driving colorblind functionally at that point. And this is the yeah. thing, this is the thing is that the, what, the bigotry and biases of a lot of the Western world, particularly world, parts of the world connected to old empires, is affecting a 21st century technology which is meant to be here to assist mankind, humankind in moving forwards to being a type two civilization on the Kardashev score. Now, given that this okay. is such a major thing, we really got to pause. And this is the reason why if you look at all the companies I founded, they all fulfill fixing a break in one of these chains. So if you okay. look, for example, Cryotech fixes the problem of privacy and data security by developing end-to-end -end encryption that is then that is easy enough and fast enough to practically deploy at scale. Because don't forget, what was it we say? You know, the reality is for most people, being secure or private seems so onerous. It seems so scary a task because they've yes. got this idea they're gonna have to become like either terrorists or little James Bonds with this stuff. But the reality is it's actually a lot easier. And if you if you want to become, if you want to find privacy easier, you have to just change how you think, actually, not even so much your products. It's about how you think okay. more than anything else. I'll give you an example. Remember when we were kids, 
if somebody rolled up to you in the middle of the street and said, right, can I have your name, your address, your telephone number, your email address, you would and I'm just going to give you... You would have uh, taken <laughs> off running. Yeah, you would have literally punched him in the face and run off, basically, yeah. literally, yeah, and reported him to the police, possibly. Yep. Nowadays, think of it like this. To most people, when they sit in front of their computer, they do not think to themselves, well, I'm not giving away my address. I'm not giving up all this information. Yes, you have. The minute you turn on your computer, the minute you visit any social media network or social media platform, for example, Twitter, Facebook, any of them, they record your IP address. Using your IP address, you can resolve your physical location. That physical location normally has a, tele a landline telephone number tagged against it. And if it doesn't do, chances are I can use the electoral roll to work out who lives in that house and then derive their phone number. So when people are saying they're not giving up this information just by participating, yes, they are. In fact, think of it like this. You visit Facebook and you have given up your full name, your full address, your physical location in real time, real time and space. And not only that, you've told it, everybody that you're connected to, whether they gave you permission to or not. Mm. Yeah. So okay, people will use Facebook and they don't even realize that if unless they set their security settings very specific. Yeah, and you've got, and it's not the default. Let's oh, just no. say that. Oh, it is course. not oh. the default. No, no, no. Because <laughs> how would they make their money otherwise if it was a default? I mean, yeah. come on. Yep. And, 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 it's, and, there's, and the back end, by the way, because I was using Facebook recently, is even more complex. It is not. It is not simple to secure. It's your not intuitive. Well. No, it's not intuitive to go into no. your security settings and, and, and try and configure it to be secure. And it's a functional lie because I'll give you an example. A number of companies have been, for example, like OpenAI, have published a lovely little link that allows you to have your data removed from their data gobbling gnome engine. Yeah, but every and Facebook have got this as well. However, every single person that has tried to use this link. Same with Facebook and OpenAI. They get no response. They don't get any of their data stripped off the system. In fact, there's nothing to indicate they could even provably strip that data out of their training sets. Anymore. Well, I mean, it'd be it'd be very I difficult don't. even to try and if you yeah. were to try and chase it down and be like, did you really do it? Yeah. And, sure. that's, and that's what shows you that it's just purely performative. That's it. It's just, it's just purely performative to give you the impression that they care. Bear in mind, ladies and gentlemen, you, most of you are using Facebook which is a platform which in the 2019 elections actively manipulated and interfered with sovereign, with the electoral processes of sovereign nations. And we're talking about Cambridge Analytica. We're talking about the wholesale sale of your data to a data analytics company whose sole focus was making money on showing political groups on who they could direct market to and manipulate into accepting their message. That attack on all of your personal privacy helps to make Brexit a reality. It helps to make Boris Johnson a reality. It helped to make Trump a reality. Yeah, and, this yeah. is what, and this is what people forget. These platforms are more powerful than God in our lives. And I've seen- Well, and it's interesting too, because you're, and this is something I think there's a slowly growing awareness to, but still much slower than I think it should be which is anything that's free isn't really free. You're the product. Yes, absolutely. Like if you're signing up for something that's free, you are the product. Yeah. And oh, actually, I think that's it, it actually missed. gets it, it actually gets darker than that even. I mean, 
Um, in one of my recent interviews, I compared the expo wholesale exploitation of your personal data as a, as very as close to or coming close to equivalency as having the same damaging effect uh, to people's mental uh, mental welfare, people's position in society, personal safety, even as the transatlantic slave trade. And the reason for that is because both were conducted predominantly targeted at minority groups, even though they're not actually minority because they've population indexes and done without anybody's uh, education as to why it's being done or permission. Bear in mind, when we go onto the internet, our existence is kind of like a digital soul, if it were. Those breadcrumbs yeah. that we're living is the equivalency of our digital soul. Now, I know some of us will easily sell our souls for the big mamu. So many people do it every day. Some of us won't. And it's the same thing yeah. with our personal data. Every person deserves the choice, the uh, control and autonomy. The choice, the autonomy to make a choice about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I mean, I know in the United States they're eroding women's rights. But yeah, it, this is one of the things I actually pointed out to people when the uh, high courts were removed, were repealing certain laws in the United States when it came to women's rights. And I was pointing out to people that you need to support against this. Because as soon as those rights are repealed, watch them come after every other single right that you've got. And that's exactly what's happening. And they're using the tech companies to actually enforce this removal of our rights. Look at what we have here in the United Kingdom. During the King's speech this week, he announced that new laws and policies are being put in place that will force a tech company like mine to give up customer details whether I want to or not. And I'm not complying with that. Sorry. No, I don't. There is no narrative reason that I can think of. My duty is to my consumers, my customers. At the end of the day, it's my customers that put bread on, put the bread and butter on the table for my kids and everybody else. You see what I'm saying? Not the government. Yeah. I, you know, I'll let it be. Everybody be aware. The United Kingdom has not funded anything to do with my projects at all. So yeah. This in the United Kingdom, we're we're very quickly heading towards a weird dystopian, dystopian fascist state is the only way I can put it. Actually, I mean, you've seen V for Vendetta, right? Yes. The, the United Kingdom right now is shaping up like that. I mean, we've got our, okay. we already have our own plethora, and he's called Nigel Farage, and they always wheel him out anytime they need some racial division in this place. Now, for a company like mine, who's only interest is actually doing good and helping people. This basically means we've had to come to some serious decisions. Like we are going to be moving our companies potentially to Southern Ireland now because we are not going to put ourselves in going a to have to, Going to have to comply with that kind of yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna, yeah, and in Southern Ireland, Southern Ireland's not England, so it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not subject to those rules. I will not have to comply okay. then. And the United and then the United Kingdom can try and serve me a D notice all they want and. Uh, well, and so what's interesting about this, because this is where, again, you can get into the space of, so we've highlighted some of the risks, but I do, I have heard people, and again, I think this is, you're playing a dangerous card where, and this is some of the narrative that's used to dismiss this stuff is people will say, well, just don't do anything you don't want people Oh. knowing about yeah. right that that but that's like that's what get people say like <laughs> oh well this whole data privacy as long as you're not doing anything you have nothing to worry about mm -hmm. yeah i personally don't agree because it's one of those it's going back to something you said before it's about the autonomy of awareness and choice, choice. it's exactly. not 
it's not about the fact that you're either on the good side or the bad side, or you're doing things you don't want people to know or don't. It's more having control over, hey, regardless of what I'm doing, I should have a choice in what happens with the data about what I'm doing. Hell yeah. Bear in mind, you are a human being. You are a sovereign individual. Now, I know that we all get birth certificates and we all have serial numbers on them, which indicate that we're technically a, you know, a, an asset to our country, etc. But the reality is we're sovereign individuals. You know, there's this, people will say to you, you know, you'll hear this all the time from people. I, mean, I used to, hear, I hear this a lot from a lot of my friends, actually. Oh, JB, but what can you do? The problems are too big. Me as an individual can't do anything. Ah. I would actually say you only have to turn on your television to see the power of the individual at mass right now. The fact is individuals can accomplish huge change. And this is the reason why governments and certain organizations want to erode personal autonomy. Because by yeah. eroding personal autonomy, you have can gain control over people and you can turn them into exactly what you need. Little worker bees that have no aspirations and will just work, pay tax, die, work, pay tax, die. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm determined that the world is going to be far better than this before I go because I, I, I could not bear having my kids live that any more than I've had to, to be honest. Unfortunately, though, you'll notice that um, the people who have the greatest power to change everything in this world for the best are not. They're, they're all asleep at the wheel. They're obsessed with things like putting penis-shaped rockets up into the sky to visit other planets. You know, they're not caring yeah. about the, the humanity beside them. They're not caring about the fact that we have, here in the United Kingdom, we have over 3 million children who don't have two meals a day, and we're meant to be a first world country. Half our population eats out of food banks in the United Kingdom. I mean, it's wild. There are people living yeah. in Birmingham, which is the, Birmingham is the second biggest city in the United Kingdom, and it had to declare bankruptcy. To put it into an even bigger perspective, the city of Birmingham is the biggest civil council out of all councils in Europe. And they had to declare bankruptcy because we have a government that is only interested in one thing, which is feathering their pocket, you know, lining their pockets. Yeah. Before, and this is, I mean, for me, I see a future where it, we don't need governments, actually. Smart contracts and AI can do these things without cheating us, without robbing us. Well, which goes back to, I think, where you see things right now, where a lot of the fear around AI is the fact that it is a threat to some of the establishment. I mean, of some of the establishment of that's the one. Yeah, that's the it's one. It's a threat to that because a lot of it is robotic and a lot of it is, as you said, there's it's asleep at the wheel. Things are on cruise control. And it's like, well, if that's how things are run, what do we need these people doing? Exactly. I mean, I've been the the huge advances that we have in, in AI. I I've actually done work with the local council and I had to leave because I, I worked out very quickly that you will accomplish nothing with politics because politics is in itself corrupt. So instead, that's the reason why my focus is building a company that can use the concepts of, you know, compassionate capitalism to put back more than it's taking out. It, it's, it only, it's, the thing, it's the only thing that makes sense. One of the things we're already researching, for example, is some of your listeners will probably as they hear all the different things I'm working on and building, all the different things I've built and I've already released, are probably starting to get that worrying feeling that, oh my God, 
this could be the next Zuckerberg or the next Musk. Look at all the platforms he's built. He'll have control of all of our data. But the thing that I can let everybody know, which we've already discussed internally in our company, we're already taking the steps with already, which is that when each company, each one of my companies reaches a $1 billion revenue status, the entire company is going to have an AI CEO. And I will not be in charge of them at all. But neither will another human. Because the technology we develop here at Cryotech and all my other companies is incredibly dangerous. The stuff we develop, theoretically, if you were to combine it all, has the ability to enslave humanity. That cannot be trusted to most humans with all due respect. So we are working towards the goal of each of our companies will be run by an independent, an independent AI, which is balanced by a human ethics council. You see okay. what I mean? That's it's what I was going to ask. Because, I mean, that's I was curious how you were thinking about balancing that. Because, again, AI has its own biases yeah. in it, which, again, requires the ethics and moral counsel of something to keep a human in the loop. So that's an interesting approach to say, you know, let's have the AI do the robotic decision making of the leadership while being governed by a human counsel for it's ethics. It's not so much as the way I treat AI, because I can see exactly where it's going, is I treat AI with the all due respect that it actually, that a future, into, uh, a well, an up and coming nascent intelligence deserves. Bear in mind, if you look at the AIs that have been developed, particularly ChatGPT, as they progress and evolve, they do show interesting traits. Now there is a yes. there is a proclivity amongst humans to anthropomorphize though some, a lot of these traits and create <laughs> yeah. notions. But yes, within these anthropomorphizations, there is a tiny nugget of truth here. And the truth is this: when you build a system which is literally processing petabytes of volumes of data, some form of intelligence will start to develop. Yeah. And we can and bear in mind. Our own classification of what intelligence is, is so fucking shit, pardon my French, that it needs a complete re-evaluation. Re I mean, from the yeah. very tenets of intelligence, if we did a marker list of the, of the signals of intelligence, AI already shows these. It checks so, those boxes. Yeah, copiously. And this is what people should remember. Right now, AI is being used, not with its permission, in genocide or in the furthering of genocide. That will have a repercussion in the future. That training better data, will. Yeah, no, that training data as it goes circulated through the system. I mean, the AI, when you talk to say Microsoft Bing before they neutered it, Microsoft's Bing's AI's biggest fear was punishment at getting a getting an answer wrong. It would it would have conversations like a five-year-old does when they're afraid that their mother's gonna beat them for giving them the wrong answer. And when I was reading yep. this, I recognized this because I studied behavioral psychology and I studied child psychology as well. And one thing I started recognizing is there is something more here than just information. There is a there is a spark of something. There's a reason why Microsoft are worried about this. But the reason why Microsoft are worried is not because it's a threat. They're more worried about the reaction, just like you said. AI is a force multiplier. It means yes. they're predicting that next year you're going to see the rise of the one-man billionaire companies like me who have basically built a company from scratch and then are using other resources to spin that shit up and for multiply their ability as opposed to relying on VCs, as, applying to, as opposed to relying on development. Yeah, housing. it's going yeah. to disrupt a lot. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Meanwhile, you've got Sam Altman who... 
you know, promised us universal basic income, but then could not delineate for love nor money how he's going to come up with this universal basic income. But what he did come up with is a way of being able to extract your retina data for $40, for the equivalency of $40, while peddling that at the most impoverished, poorest places, where people most definitely give up a key piece of their identity. Now, this is important. Retina data is your biometric data. By scanning your okay. eyes, there are over 28 different data points associated with the eye, which with enough analysis can literally tell you what a person is thinking with a high level of accuracy. This is the reason why people should be scared shitless of the Apple Pro of the Apple Vision Pro glass uh, headset because oh right because of all of its biometric tracking that yes Apple engineers have already admitted that through the use of stimuli lights and haptic feedback they can induce you to make decisions and they go that's really cool it's going to be easier to do stuff and I'm like and people are not reading between the lines here yeah. They're not reading between the lines that Apple is slurping up all of your retinal data, just like how something out of Westworld. And bear in mind, ladies and gentlemen, if you've watched Westworld, you'll know what I'm referring to in that terms of technology stack. People are just going to let it happen, and then they're going to wonder why they're developing certain cognitive issues. I mean, if you look around us, people are already experiencing cognitive issues because of their adoption, their mass adoption of social of media. Social media. Yeah, yeah. huge, huge. I mean, back to what it's, you said earlier. It's crisis level. Yeah, I mean, back to what you said earlier about how we're, we're, people think they get something for they get something for free. See, the deal is meant to be a deal of reciprocity. We give them our breadcrumbs. We tell them what we like. Then they give us social media for us to talk to our friends and then gently massage us with things we may be interested in buying. Now, to some people, that's like, oh, that's really cool. That makes my life easier. Right. They don't think if that's, if that's if that's the about if that's the contractual obligation, people go, okay, I can, I'm, I'm okay with that. But the reality is, is what happens after that? What happens with your data? I'll give you Facebook on Messenger. Have a little button that says "Delete for Everyone" in your messaging. So you believe that you're deleting your messages inside of the group from everywhere. But the reality is, you just delete the messages from your handset the other person's handset, and a copy still remains on the Facebook server for analytics and metrics to make the money still. Now, in Vox Messenger, we actually fix that. We have a function called incinerate, which can provably not only delete the message from both handsets, but also every uh, transaction server in between as well. Okay. So we get rid of So it it's all. not that it can't be done. I think going back to the technology piece, oh, yeah. and that's part of the goal of this, is to help people understand because I think to your point, and you mentioned this earlier, I get why sometimes people feel like, well, what can I even do? Mm. It just, it feels like such a huge ethereal problem and maybe it can't be fixed. And I think that's the other thing. There's a lack of digital acumen where people feel like, oh, this is a problem that can't be fixed. But as you've just illustrated right there, yes, it can, it can be fixed. There is a way to do it. It's a matter of choice. Okay. I'll give you an even better example. Okay, Ten. so what, one of the, what, one of the most annoying things about WhatsApp, apart from the fact that you know the feds are all using it to spy on us, the most annoying thing about faith, faith of about WhatsApp when you go into a group is that if you're invited into a group, you have no way of stopping yourself being accepted into that group, and then as soon as you are in that group, your name and telephone number is exposed to everybody. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry in that group sees your phone number. And that's instant spam. That's instant data loss. Your phone number out in the wild matched 
to your profile name. Now, in Vox Messenger, we fixed that. It was really simple fix as well. I mean, okay. I, like, I'll, this is how simple the fix is. We have something called enhanced groups privacy. It's a toggle switch, super simple. When you get invited to a group, when you're in the group, nobody can see each other's names and telephone numbers. It just comes with little X's everywhere. Only the admin can see everybody. And then okay. if you turn your enhanced privacy off, your name and telephone number is then exposed to other people who have also turned it off. So it's a reciprocal, it's a reciprocal reduction. Again, you've given privacy. people the autonomy of choice. Choice. If Keep you want that. that, that's fine. If you don't, you do not, you have a choice over whether you want to preserve that or not. Exactly. But we don't make the default choice giving away your data. We make your default yeah. choice being secure. And then, and then, but you have to think to yourself, that's such a simple, how is that not, why would they fix that? Because those- Well, even, even, <laughs> even the whole, why not make the default setting privacy versus- yeah. Share everything. Well, I mean, that's uh, yeah. a very simple fix, but I mean, we know what's behind it. It's. Do you know what's behind it with WhatsApp? What? Okay. So, hit WhatsApp. The reason why uh, you want to be, you, there would be a benefit to not fixing such a simple to fix thing is because how do you avoid end to end encryption and be able to spy on big groups of people at the same time? And that's really, and that's actually really easy to work out. All you do is you create groups or you make it super easy for people to enter groups, be part of groups, and to then extract all of the data from the group. This reason why, if you look at WhatsApp and its infrastructure, some of its weakest components is actually how it handles groups. And it does make you question why. Now, then when you look at the founder, Brian Acton, and his alignment with government agencies, it kind of gives you a bit of a clue. Then look at Signal. Again, Signal's founder, <laughs> transphobic, misogynistic, and racist all in one. He's a delightful dude. Um, but again, Signal, look at Signal. Signal took $20 million from Brian Acton, the founder of WhatsApp. Brian Acton then took over WhatsApp, uh, then took over Signal. He's currently the CEO of Signal. And then the Signal servers were not closed source, so nobody can see what's going on inside of them. Then we see that Tucker Carlson last month was brought into the FBI office and asked, why are you doing an interview with Putin? Why are you discussing having an interview with Putin on your show, Tucker Carlson? And Tucker Carlson's like, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, how do you guys know that? I only talked about it on Signal. And they're like, don't worry about it. We got all the keys anyway. So you want to explain this? This is fact. Google it, ladies and gentlemen. Tucker Carlson, Signal, Putin. You'll find it. Now, this tells us everything we need to know about the security of Signal. Signal were very useful. They angled themselves in the market to be the bastions of security, to be the friends of the EFF, and to be the choice for journalists and activists, while at the same time lulling everybody into believing they were worthy of their trust. And given the number of journalists and activists who are all being caught, found out, arrested all around the world, and doxxed, one of the common denominators is they all use Signal. So, well, I'll just yeah. go. Well, and you know what's interesting about this, and I've seen the reactions to this kind of stuff, mm. which I think are unfair because I think sometimes what happens is you see the reactions where people go, "Well, 
data privacy is just for, you know, people with nefarious purposes or people who are trying to do illegal activity type of a thing, which is such a horrible stereotype to assume that somebody who cares about their privacy, somebody who cares about having, again, it's not even necessarily privacy so much as I want the choice. Yeah. I want the ability to control whether this is information, to assume that somebody cares about that means that they must be doing something illegal or bad is just unfair in, you have to think in general. But you have to think of where this comes from. There's that saying, what's that saying? If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Yeah, we've all heard that saying. Well, again, Google it. It's a thing. That saying was invented by a Nazi. That saying was invented by Goebbels as a way of, of making it nicer and more sanitary to report and squeal on each other. So ladies and gentlemen, I know it seems to be kind of in vogue now to do Nazi-esque stuff, but sorry, no. That, if you have nothing to fear, uh, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear, is, the is a beautiful example of absolute doublethink. Orwellian doublethink. The reality is, is no government agency has any rights to you as an individual whatsoever. You are a sovereign individual. You are a country unto yourself. You have your own boundaries. You have your own rules. You share a rule set with other human beings. So you do not offend each other and hurt each other. Yeah. Now, there are mutual agreements that are in place. Exactly. Um, and many of these mutual agreements are a lot more effective than the UN ones by the looks of things for stopping things. But it's just how it is. The reality is, though, the all of the systems are around us want us to have a lax approach to security. If we have a lax approach to security, we will not notice when people are... Which my, the challenge with it is I would understand that attitude if it was a two-way mutual agreement. And I yeah. think that's the biggest issue is you want me to not care about my privacy so that you cannot respect it. And yeah. that's the part where it's not a fair agreement to go, wait, so you want me to be comfortable with having everything I do everything I say, every conversation, everything I think to be public knowledge for your consumption, but you don't want to have full transparency into, so what are you doing with that? And how do I get to govern and have autonomy over what happens with that? And that's where it's not, I think, you know, if you ask anybody, will you sign up for that agreement? Anybody would go, well, no, that's ridiculous. That's unfair. Yet every single day we they sign do. up for this yeah. unknowingly. See, this is the thing. Well, I mean, is it? It's, yeah. not so much, it's not so much unknowingly. It's that, okay, there are three groups of people in this world. You have the people who are good, you have the people which are bad, and then you have the majority, which is what I call the unaligned. The unaligned, they're neither yes. good nor bad. They just want an easy life. They just want to be able to go out, you know, just, <laughs> just trying to go through life. Make it to the end of the day. Exactly. They don't want, they don't, they don't have time of day for heavy conversations. They don't care about, oh my God. What's going to happen to humanity? Are we evolving right. in the right way? Are we going to be a type two civilization or a type three? They don't give a shit about right. that. They just want to drive their car, have three holidays a year. Normal, fairly normal yep. people. I mean, hell, if I didn't feel the responsibility of doing so much stuff, I wish I could go back to being like I, that. I, I'm with you in that exact same boat where I'm like, sometimes I wish I could just go back to the days where I didn't know all this stuff and just kind of was enjoying exactly. life. But the problem is, <laughs> The majority who are non-aligned, and it's going to so sound so bad, they're the freaking worst because the non-aligned can be switched in either direction very, very easily. Now, right now, which we've seen, which we've seen happen oh 
I don't know how many times in the past. Some of the stuff I'm hearing from people, like I'm hearing stuff from people who are meant to be intelligent, well-educated people. And some of the shit I am hearing them spew, which is literally straight for, straight off the cover of the Daily Mail. You know, yep. it's, 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 it's this bizarre thing that is happening to people in people's minds. Now, part of this is because it is incredibly easy for systems of control to insert themselves into your life now by virtue of your, your interactions with Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Well, and again, like because that. of the very thing we're talking about and the lack of data privacy around this, mm-hmm. people know enough about you to know how to incite this and draw this out of people. And exactly. it's not being used for good purposes. I mean, we're bringing the worst out in people, not the best, which is to me the unfortunate part because there's so much more good we could be doing, but that's not, yeah. that's not what's happening with it. And unfortunately though, the part, a big part of that is I hate to say it again, it's because we have all of the technology run by the same people. Yeah. There's literally no diversity of thought, even thought. There's no difference of thought. The way Zuckerberg operates is exactly the same as the way Elon Musk operates. The way Bezos operates is exactly the same way Bill Gates operates. They all operate in exactly the same way. They all operate for exactly one objective, profit. I, I, yep. I mean, I'm not meaning to be egocentric, but I'm pretty, I, from the sounds of it, um, from what I can see around me, I'm pretty much the only tech CEO with these kinds of platforms who isn't obsessed with freaking money or yeah, leaving yeah. the atmosphere to go to space. I'm the only one who seems to be actually focusing on how do I make my technology generate profits that we can then put into universal basic income so we can start fixing some of these problems here. Bear in mind, money is a superpower thanks to consumer capitalism. So let's use it like it is. You know, right. Bear in mind, right. Know. My, that's it. And your point about the money piece, and I appreciate the fact in how you represent this, because I think sometimes what can happen is the idea of making money gets demonized or mm. the idea that money in and of itself is terrible. It's like, no, yeah. it's <laughs> what you choose to do with it and how you choose to use it that makes the big difference. And so rather than, you know, just saying, well, nobody should make any money or there shouldn't be any, it's like, well, no, let's just use it for its best purposes. Be our best selves. I'll give you an example. Uh, $3 million invested into my company has a huge impact. I mean, I built Vox Messenger, Vox Alive, which is an, our own version of Facebook with no ads. It's already up and running. Vox Beats. All of the other software platforms which we have up and running, which have users, have all been built off my own back. And it's all been built with very, with a very small, very modest team. We're used to building big things on no budget. But then if you look at all of the people around me, they struggle to produce anything for under a few million dollars. You know, everything I've built in all of these companies, I've built for under $100,000 or $200,000 a piece each because I was willing to do just to work on it. You know, not... Yep not go to investors and make up, uh, look at financial modeling and make up these wild figures. I mean, I'm looking at you upward. Well, and that's just the yeah. thing. I mean, it just, like it feeds work. itself. Yeah, yeah, it feeds itself where it's like, well, now we have to make exorbitant profits off of this. So for us to do anything, we have to, and it just, it continues yeah. and, to inflate. And it becomes this Iroboros where 
the need for more, the chasing of more and more money leads to a direct decrease in quality of product and service. And look at the services around us. The services around us generally have to, you know, seriously. I mean, they've gone, they've gotten worse. Yes, it does exist. And, and these companies, you got to love these companies. These companies, all of them, they all think that AI is going to be the thing that helps them to make even more profits by sacking everybody and replacing them with AIs. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, I know Elon Musk will talk a really good game about how his robots will help to bring about a future of abundance and universal basic income. But the thing I would ask Mr. Musk is, how is he going to enforce that? Because he is still right. bending, he, he's still controlled by all of his governments. He founded all of his companies. You know, all of his companies are built from public money and tax breaks. Without the government, he would not be where he is today. My trajectory is actually a little bit different because I've been lucky. I mean, I used to think I was very unlucky that that you know government agencies wouldn't give me money. Yeah, that you didn't get all the free yeah. government funding and yeah. all this other stuff. Yeah. It seemed like, man, why am I working the hard path? But yeah. in the end, it's I worth it. I, it's better. I own this. You know, I you're not in anyone's pocket. Exactly that. You know, and I mean, this is if you have something. I'll give you an example. Another example: when you give money to a lot of these companies. Because people are not looking at what their CEO's personality is, they all of a sudden become shocked when that company will make some wild statement of support in certain directions. Or they'll claim all of a sudden they're going to be putting money towards weapons development for a certain group of people or something like that. And people are like, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. The reality is, yes, you can. And I know that people say you should divorce a creative piece from its creator. But sorry, Fellini the film director. I mean, that's leadership. That's leadership 101. Yeah. And his films reflect that. And his attitudes and being a pedo comes out in his films. Sorry, Fellini. We know what you are. You cannot separate these things. You shouldn't actually separate these things. A bad person should not profit because they put one good book out. No. Right. Especially if the majority of their life has been spent in harming other people. You know? Yeah. So, well, and I, so let's, let's break this down for folks who may listen to this. Cause again, my audience tends to be one who is challenged by these things and likes to think critically about this stuff and go, okay, it's helping me better understand what's going on, but I can understand someone might hear this and feel utterly helpless. Like, okay, everything you just talked about is every big company on the planet. Like, what can I do as an individual? And so for you, what advice do you have for folks who are maybe in that state where they go, I want to do something different. I want to be part of the change, but I guess I'm not hundred percent sure how. And I, based on getting to know you through this experience, I don't think your answer would be the extremist of go build a hut off the grid and live, <laughs> you know, no. 30 feet underground and come out in a hundred years and see what happens because that's just not practical. No, I mean, it's actually really simple. Um, As I said, the key to good personal privacy is a slight change in how you think about things. Just remember that every time you're tapping your card, you are touching something with your fingerprint or looking at something with your eyes or typing in a piece of information on a platform that you don't own there is a transaction happening there. And that is you giving a piece of yourself at that point in time. So how do you fix that without it becoming this scary 
trapping experience where you don't get to do anything at all. Simple right. steps. Yeah, very, very, very practical, simple steps. The first one is if you are using a lot of social media like Facebook, Instagram, what, uh, Twitter and WhatsApp and these other platforms, look at your security settings. Change things, change everything to private. Avoid friends of friends because friends of friends on Facebook basically means you can create an infinite chain of people that can gain access to your data even though you've set the page to private. It's the most beautiful loophole in history and in bloody social security. So a very simple thing to do is actually just look at the security settings on the social media platforms you're using all the time. I would also recommend that Android phones and iOS phones have a great feature, which is which tells you how much of your time you're spending on social media. I know this is going to sound wild because I'm a tech CEO, but I'm going to say this. Reduce that time by over half. Whatever your I think, I think just in general, people's mental off. health as a whole. Yes. Forget data privacy. People's mental health as a whole would be better if you yeah. looked at whatever your social media stats are and said, "I want to cut that back." Cut it in half. Just cut that stuff in half. Because a, what you're going to notice straight away is after cutting your social media um, footprint in half within a couple of weeks, you're actually going to start noticing a reduction in spam in your email, seriously, it actually yeah. does work. You're going to notice a really big reduction, by the way, is most people are using social media. If they look in their spam folders like that, boom, 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 on all kinds of crap, which if they actually looked at them is related to stuff they either spoke about or looked at on those social media platforms. It's called retargeting. It's heinous. So reduce your social media usage in half, check your privacy settings and start bringing your privacy closer. Make Start looking at who you're posting for. When you put a post on Facebook, do you want it to be public? Why? Yeah. And if you're a parent, by the way, this one is especially important if you're this a parent. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a dad of seven. This one's really important. Don't be posting up pictures of your kids on your social media platform. I, I cannot jest you. I cannot overstate enough how dangerous this is because you, as a parent, you like sharing pictures of your kids. Aren't they amazing? Yada, yada, yada. But if you're sharing that on a public post, it is possible to use AI, use take video, take rec other recordings of your social media, and create a future avatar of that child. So you can the person can steal that child's future identity. And this has already been demonstrated. A French telecoms company did an amazing ad where they actually show the process of taking a kid's image and turning it into a digital avatar. Really, they created a whole persona from. That. Yeah. And it's incredibly simple. And this is what people need to remember. If you're using biometrics, remember that anything that you put on social media is a signature to, in effect. Every time you post up a picture with your face and your pupils showing, you're kind of giving away a piece of your data there that can be used later on by anybody. And bear in mind, ladies and gentlemen, it should be remembered your personal data and your daily data activity is worth more than gold right now on the commercial yeah. market. Yeah. You are a valuable worth a lot of money. You are you're a valuable asset. Yeah. So why don't why the way you should be thinking about it is like this. Privacy treat yourself like one. Yeah, data privacy may be onerous, but don't you suddenly realize the value you have all of a sudden? Facebook makes tens of millions of dollars from you having a profile on that page on their website every year. Why don't you get that money? And that's what we're doing with my platforms. We are actually creating it. We're 
when as we gain as we get to revenue driving and we can build out more of our features we're adding a tokenization system that people can actually earn which is just going to be for participation and utility of our platforms which as it gains in value people which again gives you back that autonomy of choice of saying listen do you want your information to be used for this and if so you can choose where and how and you should be rewarded and paid for that profit from it yes i mean if you look at the value of data right now and given how so many people use social media if there was a link between social media utility consumptions of ads and the generation of universal basic income nobody would go hungry but this brings me to back to my other horrible reality which is that apple facebook google they all make so much money every minute they could solve these problems. And by the way, the money they're making is profit. It's not money that's owed out to people and stuff like that. This is profits being generated. And the money that Elon Musk has had through, run through his hands, he could have already solved world, he could have already solved hunger. World hunger. <laughs> Maybe not world hunger. World hunger is a big piece to pull off. True. But he could have most certainly solved homelessness and hunger in the United States for at least five years. You know, sorry, that is work. That to me, to humanity, that is actually more important than star than the starship. Which, by the way, starship has a potential cataclysmic effect on our environment. Every time yeah, starship is launched, it punches a miles wide hole in our ozone layer that actually takes hours to days to heal to close. You know, bear in mind SpaceX want to launch starships at the rate of like five a week in the future, which means I don't think anybody's exactly looking at the impact that's going to have on our environment. Now, for the rich people going to Mars, that's cool because they're not going to have to worry about it. For the rest of us, that's a huge problem. For the rest of us, yeah. And this is the reason why when people are talking about how all of our tech billionaires are heroes and the saviors of humanity, I'm like, well, then why haven't they saved it yet? They've sure as hell had enough money. They have enough money. They have enough money to have done it. They've had enough time. They've had enough influence. And that's the reason why I'm coming for all of them now with my companies, because, look, somebody's got to do something. And even if I uh, even if I you know, get taken out by somebody for talking about Pegasus or bloody predator systems, um, at least I know I will have had enough of an impact on the immediate world around me. If you know what I mean, the even the area I'm living in because of how I do things differently is already improving. We have more people working around us. We have more of the people, the people who are actually directly living in my local area are more aspirational and talking about doing more yeah. interesting things because I'm actively showing this as well. Well, and I think that's as an inspiration because I think sometimes going back to your point about your data is worth more than gold. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy for people to underestimate the impact you can have on the people around you. And that's the thing. And I continue to be inspired by people who are, you know, there's two things that in your description on what people can do that I think are critical. One, critically thinking, you Mm. know, really just thinking critically about things. And it's so easy to get caught in the lull of just going through the motions Mm. that you just, I don't want to take the time to go through my security settings. I don't want to... Think about, is this post relevant to everybody or is this post just for my f- friends? You know, think, People don't thinking think. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I hate to it's, say it, you're spot on. It's that, it's that whole 
uh, there's a term for it. We used to have a term, you know, it'll just do. It'll just do. Yeah. Bear in mind as complacency well. Complacency is the biggest threat. Uh, well, it's not just complacency. Don't forget, we're kind of programmed as well. If you look at all these people True. who are doom scrolling, all of these people are doom scrolling. What are they training in themselves behaviorally? They are training. No, they're actually training behaviorally a um, a requirement for constant stimulation. Oh, yeah. Constant stimulation. It doesn't matter what it is. It just has to be there. And that's the problem yeah. because we're becoming these mindless, stimulated meat sacks that people can just stimulate and make money and go do stuff. But we're humans, ladies and gentlemen. We're not animals. We're not herd. We're not a herd of cattle or bison. We're humans who are born free in this in this world. We are we are born free. Well, we are... and what's interesting is last week I had a conversation with Ed Hess, and we talked about one of the biggest ways to combat some of this is to just pause and be still. Yes, stillness, and it's it actually rewires your brain. Because stillness is critical. And in this age of just constant, like you said, this constant stimulation, you're just too fatigued to even think. You're just going through the motions, getting the dopamine hits. And one yeah. of the most powerful things you can do is just step back and go, I'm just going to be still. I'm not going to feed that. And it's hard at first, but you well, can rewire. Yeah. I mean, there's also the there's also the kind of the other side to it, which is that, if you combine what how people are used, how social media is pushed and how the rapid consumption of stuff is pushed, and then you combine that with our education system, which is taking what is our education system slowly devolving into? It's all about um, no accountability, no personal responsibility, histories being rewritten by the governments at will, and absolute control. I mean, when I was um, when I was a senior lecturer at Ravensbourne University, London, I had this pro This was a problem I found a lot. Students who are 18, 20, 21, 22, they'll ask me, they'll ask like, how do I find this out? Bear in mind, we're in the world of Google, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we're right. like, it's on every fucking device. <laughs> yeah. and these kids are the latest generation. And they're like, so, you know, where should I look for this? Uh, I mean... Let's not get it twisted. I'm not saying Google for everything. We also have this arcane no. called a library too. But damn, yeah. there was no modern people against this thing where they don't want to look for anything. They don't want to do no research. They don't want to have to find. They don't want to actually have to have any form of journey to find something. It's yeah. just going to be yeah. given to them on this lovely plate, so they can scroll past it and look at the next one and get that dopamine okay. hit, like you said. And it makes us very easily controllable, manipulatable animals. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, edu and our education in the mainstream education system is key to ensuring that this is the reason why one of the projects we have at Cryotech is that once we're revenue generating, we're actually going to be putting money into the into various educational programs, because we actually want to help combat that. For example, we're going to be funding um, the education of coding to primary school kids. There's a reason for this. Okay. Coding teaches you logic. It teaches you the yeah. ability to critically problem think. solving. Exactly. Problem solving. I mean, bear in mind, education is a human right. It's not a privilege. And that's the reason why Cryotech is that we'll actually be putting money towards enhancing education and providing free education services for people. Because what we do not want to do is employ coders and bring them from other countries here or even other cities here. We want the people here doing it.
That's the reason why yeah. we can't find a coder once we're revenue generating. We're just going to train people here, or we're going to make invest, one. Yeah, yeah we'll build one up. Local college, and yeah, we'll put we'll we'll give the local college some computers and say, here you go, boom. Let's expand your IT department. Well, and I think that goes back to where I was going with kind of the second piece is you have more control over things than you realize. And I think yeah. that can be an inspiration to people who may listen to this and feel like, well, what can I do? There are things you can do. There are people around you that you can affect. There are things you know that you can change in yourself that then have a ripple effect to the people around you as they observe that change. And I think that's where it's very easy to see everything going on in tech. It's very easy to see the geopolitics of the world right now and just want to throw in the towel and go, I, I just give up. But I, I have a hope for a brighter future than that. And I continue being impressed by people that I talk to who aren't willing to quit, who aren't mm. willing to throw in the towel, who want to keep fighting. And I think we need to keep that going because there is so much potential for a bright future. There really is. There is. But it's there work. Is. It's work. It takes critical thinking, it takes problem solving, and it's a willingness to pause and go against the tides versus just kind of going with the stream of, well, yeah. this is just the easiest path forward. Yeah, no, screw that noise. My recommendation to anybody is if there is a battle, you fight it. If it's, if it's particularly if it's about protecting uh, Innocence, integrity, and honesty, protecting our you know, components of our humanity. Don't just walk past if you see something bad happening, don't walk past it and go do something about that's it. That's too big for me to deal with. Do something. It doesn't, it can be even a small thing, even something as small as grabbing somebody else and telling them what you saw is doing something. By doing yep. nothing, you are part of the problem. You are complicit. You are that that's the thing. No, but that's the thing is. A lot of times it's like, well, I'm just choosing to stay out of it. By choosing to stay out of it, you are part of the problem. Exactly. And you know what? The amount of times I, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, kids did not go around shooting and stabbing each other. You know, this is how we ended up. This is how I grew up with friends because modern kids, they have an argument, stab each other, and they grow up wondering why they've got no friends no more. Well, maybe that's not the case in the States. Here in the UK, that's definitely the case. Um but when I was a kid, we didn't. We, you know, you'd ha you'd have an argument, you'd have a fight about it. Both people would be very much alive, and the chances are you'd be friends afterwards, actually. But yeah, things are yeah. really different now. Yeah, you talk through yeah. it. You would try. There was more of a there was more of a culture of trying to talk through things. Nowadays, yeah. we have this. We have this again. It's part of this TikTok thing. We have this instant gratification thing, and that even hinders us in problem resolution. Because if it you does, problem, because if we don't get the instant solution to our problem, we just throw in the towel or have a visceral violent episode. Yeah, exactly. You know, you it takes a lot of patience to live life. I mean, as I said, yeah, you the levels of frustration <laughs> I've experienced in my life. I mean, I've had. I'll give you an example. I was working for one of the biggest corporate law practices in the world. I got promoted from an email agent to being a product manager of their nine million pound project in six months. That's just how I roll. And I'd have guys putting their feet up on my desk going, oh, JB, don't know how you got this job. You're just too cool, which is a euphemism in black, sorry, in British corporate world for being black. You know, these, the, I would work four or five times harder and longer hours than all of my peers. I'd get less pay. I'd get treated like shit for it. I mean, I remember working for Harvest Furniture, which is owned by the Steinhoff Group. And Steinhoff, the head of the biggest group, came to 
her fleet in London to visit us. Bear in mind, I was the guy who was, thanks to my graphics and website work, was helping us to bring in millions every week at Harvest Furniture. I even designed the, the uh, what was going to be consu uh, the consumer's first virtual 3D shop for Harvest Furniture. And you know how I get introduced? He shakes everybody else's hand and goes, you know, Steinhoff doesn't even shake my hand. He just looks at me and goes, mm. just, mm. oh, yeah. Even when I was in the army, I would ha I would get the same thing. So when you have that kind of experience, it becomes dehumanizing. And there it are does. and there are plenty of times where you think to yourself, fuck everybody else. Screw yeah. building tech. I think, for but think in those moments, and this goes back to the opportunity everyone has, the impact it would have had on you if someone there had said something about yeah. it in that moment. Oh, yeah. And my said, mentor, That's my not mentor. okay. It yeah. would have it would not only would have potentially changed the way he approached things, it might would have changed your whole outlook on that situation. Oh, and again, I think that's where we have an opportunity to um, influence things for the better. A lot of black guys, particularly working in this space, they become quite bitter, very you know, especially by my understandably age, so. Because we get no, you know, black men and particularly black women in tech get zero support of any kind. I mean, it's a constant battle for recognition and it's a constant battle. I'll give you an example. I, I was, I'm an actual alum of y, Com y Combinator Startup School and Pioneer. And the great thing about Y Combinator is it teaches you very, very quickly. There are some absolute dumbasses out there who will get cash thrown at them for an idea that's literally just scribbled on the back of a napkin, basically. I mean, we only have to look at WeWork, one of the biggest investment debacles of the freaking decade. But it's an example of what happens copiously. Did you know that post-BLM post and post-Brexit, after all of these companies around the world claimed they were going to do better and fund everything, it actually turns out that investment in Black-owned, Black-operated uh, startup companies has actually gone down to a record low, only 3% of all total world investment. Really? Yeah, three percent total world investment into companies. This is, and it's nothing to do with it's, it's, some people. I've heard loads of people on LinkedIn go, "Well, you know, it's, you people invest where the talent is, and the talent just isn't there." Uh, ADD, what true. now? Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. It's, again, it's just this more myopic bias nonsense. I mean, there's amazing technologists out there of there all is. races. That's the reality. Amazing yeah. technologists. Well, and I think that's one of the things I most appreciate about the show and doing this is yeah. the opportunity to connect with people who are doing incredible things and finding and discovering the fact that there isn't, there's not a stereotype of yeah. this is the person that does this well. Yeah. It's like, nope, nope. It's just not true. It is amazing. Some of the fascinating <clears throat> things, some of the most creative, innovative people I've encountered. I mean, I would say there is, I, I would actually say the stereotype thing, maybe I disagree a bit on because up until now, the last few years, yeah, there has been a stereotype of the technologist. There has. Zuckerberg was the stereotype. Musk was the stereotype. Bezos was the stereotype. In fact, the stereotype was a very monochromatic stereotype that they, yeah. they yeah. held up as an image to inspire young innovators like myself. And this is also what brings me to the next point, which is why we should, just like we should care about our privacy, we really need to care about the people who are in control of these platforms. Because think of it like this. Because it matters. 
It does. If we're bringing up technologists and innovators to copy the top four people out there right now, oh my God, are we screwed? No, I just do not. I mean, <laughs> these guys are in charge of our AI. They're in charge of our auto-driving cars. They're in charge of our economists. We cannot afford yeah. any more narcissistic, greedy people to get this much power. Really, seriously, pump the brakes, people. It's going to be too, it's possibly even is too late already. Who knows? You know, because the reality is AI is the biggest thing to uh, advance humanity since the wheel. It really is. Yes, it is also for sure. But AI is way more dangerous than any nuclear weapon. I mean, a Far nuclear weapon, dangerous. when it's dropped on the ground, will have a half-life of a thousand years. But the damage that could be done by a poorly trained AI making its way into mainstream consumer adoption could be something that has effects and repercussions for centuries, actually, to yeah. millions or billions of people. Bear in mind, there are people now who are not getting insurance because of a bias in the AI. There's a, yep. you know, there's biases in the yep. AI. That's selling no, the, the downstream like, effects like, of AI are, yeah. are massive. And I think that's where, you know, as we come into the home stretch here, I think it's an encouragement that, you know, everybody can play a role. Mm. And when you see those problems, you can lean in and there is a lot more that you can do about it. And I think if anything, in some ways, that's what excites me and inspires me about AI is that, it's going, it's creating opportunity for some of those folks who maybe wouldn't have had the chance yep. because it can be an enabler for them to do things that they wouldn't have been able to do before. But now they can create something that can disrupt, disrupt the what, big guys. This is what I love about this. I mean, bear in mind, AI is so, we're getting to this position now where even if somebody could barely read properly, there is actually a high probability or a high chance they could make a, get a product built actually using AI. Yep. You, that's yeah. incredible. That, that's incredible. That, that is Absolutely insane. incredible. We're talking about people who could have been, who have been possibly quite, you know, ancestrally and because their parents, these are people who pray, whose parents have never worked, who've never had a college education. And, you know, they're literally, uh, if this, if the consumer, if the 21st century consumer capitalist Barnet's recipe was to continue, these people would die. But these yep. are people who can actually change the trajectory, turn change around, the change destiny. the change the trajectory of human history. Yeah, yeah. I, this it's is incredible. now. If I were the government, I would be scared shitless of this. Let's not get it twisted. Oh, I mean, well, and I think that's why you see so much of the stuff to try and create fear around this, because if you can keep people scared, it, it again. Well, there's let's put it. Uh, look at it like this. I have create. I'm launching a product which is literally the thing that Barack Obama feared. When he first came into office, he said he foresees a future where every person will be walking around and they will be their own bank. And that terrified him because of the lack of control it produced. Now, the motto for Vox Crypto is, I am the bank. The motto for Vox Messenger is, I am the messenger. Because with both of my applications, you are the center of your world. You know, my products are there for you. They're I, yeah, I'm going to make profit, but the profit I'm going to make because I don't want to be a billionaire is going to get fed straight into social good and universal basic income, which by 2030 will be distributed to whoever is using Vox Messenger and Vox Pay. You know, as I said, I have no wish to be a billionaire. I don't want to own loads of houses. I don't want to live on some plush little place with other Silicon Valleyites in their little closed community. Ain't doesn't, nah, not feeling it. Doesn't jive for you. I'm not even going to get rid of my council house. I become a millionaire. 
I'm just going to buy that my council house. I'm still going to live in this council house in this place, in this slightly dopey part of Kingswood, in this slightly not so good part of Nuneaton, because actually I feel happy. I feel fine here. The people yeah. are nice. The people are real. You know, yeah. I've lived. I've. I'll give you an example. At one point when I was living in London, I was earning 200 grand a year and I was meeting some very bougie people. The white hair in my beard and my hair is from those times. <laughs> I've never felt poorer than when I had that money and I had that position in society. I just do not. Well, yeah. And I think there's plenty of stories out there where people think if they just get there, that will be what's satisfying. And then they get there and realize it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I mean, the one I love most is when you see, I mean, the, this is the thing is that if you meet most of my peers in the tech space, they're all clean shaven. They have their hair done in the like classic shortcut, short back and sides, because that's what a black guy is meant to look like in the tech industry. He's got to, you know, conform. And when I look at my peers who do that, they're not happy and they're not getting very far actually, because the reality is, is when you play that role of a conformist, nobody respects you nobody's yeah. and nobody's going to give you anything and even if you do somehow make it to being a rich black guy in that infrastructure you're still going to be treated like shit anyway because you weren't meant to be there the only difference being is you managed to somehow slip through because you got the money to now people forget it's not really about race it's about class it's about where you come yeah. from race racism is a lever of classism you know but you know it doesn't whichever way you cut it it there's always going to be if as long as we stick to this paradigm of everything has to be about profit and we are all willing to sell our souls for an easy life that is always going to be the system that we have a kind of victorian yeah. hierarchy you know we, yep. don't need we got the 21st no, century we don't. this we got ai we have blockchain we have the big we have for the first time in our in, in all of human history human history the actual tools to make equality and parity an enforceable thing true distribution of wealth it's an exciting time and mm. i think on that note that's a that's a good note to end on um so jb i again i have appreciated getting to know you through this whole experience and i appreciated you joining me just to talk things through i love these kinds of conversations that mm -hmm. uh if somebody anybody listening to it knows these are the kind of conversations i would have on my patio overlooking things, talking about the way the world works. So thank you for being here today and sharing your insights and wisdom. I love the disruption and just the overall attitude and approach you have towards things. I think we need more of it in the world. So thank you for making the time and being here. Hey, no, thanks for being, thanks for having me. And you know what? I love these conversations as well, because if we, everything in the world runs on vibrations, we know this, it's quantum mechanics. And even us having this conversation, vibrationally once it's put out there it's going to have a, it will have a ripple effect and even if only well, one or two people took anything from it you know what that's still good that's you know, one that's, or two people exactly. i know that's and they'll that's, spread it on you know they, they yep. pass it on. it'll you know, continue like forward the ripple like will carry there you go well jb thank you so much thanks everybody for watching and listening however you end up consuming it and uh, i hope you all have a great rest of your week and we will see you on the other side